That's Genesis 4, verses 17 to 26. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methujael, and Methujael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. <clears throat> he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. A number of years ago, I visited an orphanage in Natal, South Africa, and attached to the orphanage was a school. The classes in the school were extraordinary, because in the year seven class, alongside 11 to 12-year-olds, there were children aged 17 and 18. The director of the orphanage explained to me that the school itself wasn't actually run by the orphanage and that they had a policy in the school that no child should progress to the next year up until they passed the exams for that year. So I said to him, well, how come some 17 and 18-year-olds have failed the 12-year-old exams for five or six years on the trot? And he said this, because they'd never had time as small children, before preschool even, with their mums and dads, learning the most simple of skills, what he called floor time. He said, without that, you know, they've never really been able to process things. Now, on exactly the same trip to South Africa, I was chatting to the principal of a theological seminary, and he was lamenting the difficulty of producing PhD students. And he said this, I never realized how important primary school education was to post-degree level training. So we ought to think highly of our parents and highly of our primary school educators. But today we're in Genesis chapter 4, and this is, if you like, key stage one primary school material. Fail to grasp this we'll never make sense of the world. We will fail in the very basic understanding of life on planet Earth. You can see what the author wants us to grasp, and that that it is the kind of ABC, from chapter 2 and verse 4. Back there at the beginning of this early section of Genesis, the author says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created 
in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In other words, you want to make sense of the ABC building blocks of life. Well, this is where you need to begin. Fail to get hold of this, you'll always be at sea in the world. And so my aim is that we understand the world in which we live. As we often say here, God's word makes sense of God's world. And our subject today is human ingenuity plagued by human failure. And I want us to see that you can't save the world. I say you because my generation had a go and we made a complete shock shock of it. You're next and you won't succeed either. Sorry. And if you don't realize that, then you will be like an infantile child for the rest of your life. First, then, human ingenuity and the widespread advance of technology. It's very important that we grasp this. There can be no doubt that chapter 4, verses 17 through 22, chart an extraordinary, an exponential advance in a number of fields. So, verse 17, Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch, the city. Verse 18, to Enoch were born Irad, Irad father Mahujel, Mahujel father Methusel, Methusel father Lamech. Cain down to his great, great, great grandson. 19.322, the four great, 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 great grandsons of Cain, who were pioneers, pioneered animal husbandry, that's Jabal. Culture and the arts, that's Jubal. Industry, that's Tubal-Cain. Verse 22, Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, and his sister was Nama. So, of course, this is shorthand. I mean, there's very little material to spell this out. It's actually brilliantly crafted. In, In just so many words, the first shoots emerging from the fertile soil of human inventiveness. And you might say, well, look, everything's really on track. Adam and Eve were given the responsibility to fill the earth and subdue it. Back in chapter 1, the earth is being filled and the earth is being tamed. Take the city, for example. I mean, it is an example of extraordinary human ingenuity. I was visited Beijing for the first time around about 10 years ago. I remember sitting at a table with a group of uh, young students. And they said to me, uh, how big city you come from? Uh, actually, their English was slightly better than that. Uh, and I said, oh, we're seven to eight million in London. And they said, ah, oh, second-tier city. And then somebody else said, small second-tier city. Pause and think about it. Human city, it's an extraordinary feat of human ingenuity. Engineering, planning, cooperation, government, But then you've got uh, Jabel, haven't you? Ada bore Jabel, verse 20. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Take agriculture. The US Challenger MT-775, I've enjoyed reading about it this week, with its seven-blade reversible shears together with disc harrows to one side, is capable of plowing 150 acres per day, the equivalent of 100 soccer pitches. It comes complete with heated leather seats and a DVD player. I think I might get one. (laughs) 
But then you've got Jubal, and he's the arts, the lyre, and so forth. And whether it's Bach or Beethoven, Mozart or Tchaikovsky, Eminem, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, or Latham, I'd never heard of, actually, but look them up. Maybe you haven't heard them, then I'm ahead of you on these matters. <laughs> and then take the iPhone in your pocket. Do you know, I remember the first computer in my school, and it was literally, genuinely, the size of a house. It came with levers, hand levers. Take out your iPhone. I trust it's on plane mode, uh, flight mode, and can't take calls and so forth at the moment. You're not playing some silly game on it. But on here, you have your diary, your address book, your newspaper, your filing system, your bank details, your telephone, your internet watch, alarm clock tickets, coffee machine, and pretty much everything else. Here's a really good book on the first chapters of everything it's called, chapters one to four of Genesis. It's written by Alistair Payne. It's an outstanding book and covers the material. You might like to read it over Easter. In only just over a century, we've had manned flights, antibiotics, computers, telecoms, plastics, genetic engineering, cars, supermarkets, movies, recorded music, the web, Agricultural technology has given us miracle rice and the green revolution and medicine, huge advances in life expectancy. Even progress itself accelerates. The phone in your pocket today has more memory than a mainframe computer 30 years ago. And so surely, in this kind of shorthand account, 17 through 22, we're meant to come away from this saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. Even pagan Lamech, outside of the garden with his godless offspring, even you and I, are capable of extraordinary feats. And we are. What is man that you're mindful of him? But here's the point, that human ingenuity and inventiveness, for all our brilliance, does not bring us back into the garden. And no sooner has our author sketched out the trajectory of a graph whose only direction appears to be upwards, than we find ourselves plunged into the all-too-familiar downward spiral of verses 23 and 24. Remember, the end of chapter 3, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, and there are Angels with flaming swords put on the door to stop them getting back in. And you think, well, technology is going to create the ideal world and, as it were, get us, in quotes, back into the garden. Oh, no, 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 no. What's the problem? Verse 23. And here we come to human sin and the exponential increase in violence. So Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilla, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, we haven't commented on Lamech's polygamy. We're not going to say much about it, except to say that this first attempt to improve on the marriage ordinance of Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 sets a disastrous precedent 
and every other attempt of humanity to improve on God's plan for sex and marriage ends in personal tears and cultural depravity. Look around you. But the rest of Genesis, with its portrayal of the wretched polygamous marriage, first of Isaac, then of Jacob, continues the negative trend. However, the main point of verses 23 and 24 are to show us that hand in glove with Lamech's technological prowess is this ugly advance of violence. Just look at it again. Ada and Zilla, hear my voice. You wise of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. He's boasting to his wives. His point is this. If anyone should so much as touch Cain, vengeance will be visited on him 77 times. Lamech says, you touch me, I'll murder you. You mess with me, I'll raise your house to the ground. And the stark brutality of verse 24, it's designed to shock. Apparently, the Hebrew scholars say that the words me and my occur in the sentence time and time again. And these verses emphasize what one writer calls Lamech's cruel egotism, totally self-centered. His boast is, I have killed, I've murdered. And the word for young man there is of a child or a youngster, a teenager, maybe a young 20-year-old. And so you might say, this lad, you know, he bruised me, I murdered him. You have to ask yourself, you know, what happened? Did he mug him on the street? Uh, Did he bump into him, nudge him on the tube by accident? Was it an incident in a bar? Was it a gang thing? Was it road rage? Did Lamech cut him up at the lights? But what Lamech delights in is the ferocity and the advance of violence. The message is this. You don't mess with Lamech. Kids don't taunt Lamech. No one will diss Lamech. Cross Lamech and you're dead. So this is the world of Peaky Blinders. Al Capone, the Cray Twins, many estates here in London. The city. And our author's point is quite simple. Here is humanity outside the garden. Yes, exponential advance in human ingenuity mirrored by exponential advance in human violence. This is what you've got. And does it not explain the world? And were you shocked by Russia's invasion of Ukraine? That's because you haven't done key stage one. Back a few terms. Remedial. Such progress, such depravity... Such opportunity, such evil. The mother of all bombs. 150,000 into Ukraine. 
the iPhone in your pocket. I've had dinner a few times with a person who first spoke, spoke to somebody else, who first spoke to somebody else on a telephone, disconnected from a wire. He was the first ever. He was an inventor. I mean, he still is. Andrew's his name. And they were in two rooms in a house. He picked up this thing, apparently it was the size of two or three bricks. He was holding it like this. They spoke to each other with no wires. Back in the 1970s or 80s, it was. Consider the iPhone in your pocket. Such ingenuity, such evil. Internet pornography, social media bullying, sexting. And so humanity, for all our attempts to save this planet, with all the advance of extraordinary, extraordinary technological brilliance, we're just wrapped up in exponential advance of sin. And and some of us are are, are realizing this. I, I was so struck a few weeks back that somebody working here in the city saying that they were kind of completely beside themselves, having spent the last 10 years encouraging people to invest in non-solid fuels, gas, to realize that they had funded the invasion. Somebody told me last weekend that they'd been on a course where it had been pointed out to them that when the army went into Afghanistan, we went into Afghanistan, we equipped the Afghan farmers with modern agricultural machinery in order to grow cotton to stop heroin production. And as we left Afghanistan, those machines have been used for exponential advance in heroin production. Can we save the planet? Can we save the world? The Twin Towers in New York, 10 million square feet of office space, 200,000 people visiting every day. 9th of September 2001, I remember hearing about it, the utter shock. I was standing just there when somebody came up to me and said they have flown a plane into one of the Twin Towers. Such was the advance in technology that men and women at that time were in their desks here in London in offices, speaking to colleagues, even as their building was falling to bits and some of them were jumping out of the window. Such is the wickedness of humanity that 2,996 people were killed and 6,000 injured. We had people to supper that evening, and as we went downstairs to, the, uh, to eat, to the kitchen, one of them said, we really ought to turn on the telly, and we did, and we saw it, and we watched it in shock. And one of the individuals said, this has changed the world forever. Well, in a sense, it has. You know, we never used to have these kind of security checks. You know, now everybody's terrified of a terrorist. But in another sense, has it changed the world? Genesis 4.
So let's stand back, shall we, from this for a moment, and uh, then we'll come to a little bit of hope. But let's stand back from this for a moment. You will remember that each block of Genesis is introduced. It's highly sophisticated literature. It's the work of a literary genius. And each block of material is introduced by the phrase, these are the generations of. 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 Our block of material begins at chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. In other words, you want to understand the world, you've got to understand this. And it runs right the way through to chapter 5, verse 1. So with chapter 2, 3, and 4, 2 and 3 match each other perfectly, and they fold the center point is the point where Adam and Eve rebel against God. That's the place the whole thing hinges on. It leaves chapter 4 inside the overall piece, but outside the tight-folded structure. And it's almost as if the author is saying, following the fall, oh, you may want to get back in the garden, you may long to have heaven on earth, but actually this is what you're left with. Cain tries to get back in through religion, and it ends up with him murdering his brother. Human technology, we can create heaven on earth, and it ends up in shocking multiplication of violence. And if you haven't understood that, then we're not ready to leave school. So the 20th century was the great humanist century, in a sense. Listen to the second humanist manifesto. When you read it, you think, it that beggar's belief that people wrote this sort of nonsense. Listen to it, 1973. The next century can be and should be the humanistic century. Dramatic scientific, technological, and ever-accelerating social and political changes crowd our awareness. We have virtually conquered the planet, explored the moon, overcome the natural limits of travel and communication. We stand at the dawn of a new age, ready to move further into space and perhaps inhabit other planets. Using technology wisely, we can control our environment, conquer poverty, markedly reduce disease, well, there's an interesting one, extend our lifespan, significantly modify our behavior, oh yeah, alter the course of human evolution and cultural development, unlock vast new powers, and provide humankind with an unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. Right? You better go back to grade one, humanist, if that's really what you think because you haven't understood the basic ABC. But notice how personal it is. Do you notice this in verse 23? It's all about Lamech. It's very individual. I've been talking slightly more philosophically, if you can call it that, slightly more big picture. But look at verse 23. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wise of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then mine is 77-fold. This is what Alistair Payne has to say about this. Lamech is not so far from each of us. When we read of a road rage attack, we shake our heads in disapproval. But have we not felt that anger well up inside us when someone cuts us up on the road? When our standing has been threatened by some insult or when we feel we've been treated with less importance than we deserve, have we not dwelt on the desire to find the most damaging barb with which to respond? It's there in all of us. 
Here is the individual who is so talented, yet whose life again and again is a moral failure. Here is the brilliant family who can't get on with each other. Here is the rock band that inevitably busts up. Here is our own heart, our own finest achievements, blemished by what lies within us. So helpful a description. Our finest achievements blemished by what lies within us. Now, I'm so thankful that we have Genesis chapter 4. I mean, that sounds a ridiculous and patronizing, stupid thing to say, but what a wonderful thing we got Genesis chapter 4 because it does make sense of our world. The Bible makes sense of the world. If you haven't understood Genesis 1 to 4, we'll always stumble around with a blindfold on out there in the big wide world. And when we were talking about this in our kind of planning this meeting, we do meet to plan these meetings. It may surprise you, but we do. And we talk about the passage and we try and fit everything around the passage and what we're going to be learning for the, night, for the, for the, for the evening. And um, there was a bit of discussion about, you know, well, should we just leave it there? And I have to tell you, I'm quite tempted to leave it there because actually out there, there is so much sentimental kind of Teletubby stuff. People who just don't understand humanity. They think we're kind of all going to hug each other and grow on into humanist nonsense. And here is the reality. And you see it every moment in your news feeds, and it's there in your heart. However brilliant, humanity is deeply stained and broken. And Ukraine actually shouldn't surprise us one little bit, nor should the pandemic. However, one or two were very insistent that I shouldn't leave it there. And they're right, but I wanted to get the weight of it. Just look at verse 25 and 26, because here we have bright hope. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed, that's what Seth means, for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So Seth, to Seth also a son was born, and his name is Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Seth means God has appointed. Seth is born. Eve calls him another seed. And you'll remember Tim's talk a few weeks back where God said that Eve's seed would crush Satan's head. And from this point on, the search is on, if you like, For the offspring whom God has appointed who will crush the head of Satan. And this thing, sin, which has plagued humanity, who's going to deal with it? One way of reading the whole Bible story is that it's a search for this individual. Turn, if you would, please, to page 1033. 1033. So we've had 1,029 pages of the Bible story, okay, which we're not going to read. 
And if you understand that that's what the 1,029 pages, and it's not just, you know, how's the story going to finish, but the whole of humanity is crying out for an end to this plague, this global pandemic that is kind of ever-enduring, to which there appears to be no antidote apart from this seed. And then here in the temple, Simeon, who is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And look at verse 27 of chapter 2. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. I mean, it says he took him up in his arms. I kind of rather hope, I'm looking forward to meeting Simeon, I rather hope he went, yes, kind of like that, and stuck the baby right. You're probably not allowed to do that anyway, not allowed to do it today. You would have all your kind of uh, permission to work in the Sunday school taken away. But verse 29, here he is standing with this baby. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Here he is, the one who will defeat Satan by paying for our sin and enabling us back into the garden. No surprise, incidentally, just flick across the page to verse 23 of chapter 3. Just Say a quiet prayer to the Lord that you never get asked to read this in church. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old, being the son of Joseph, son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, the son of Nagai, son of Martha, son of, and so on and so on and so on. Verse 36, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Hesuzalah, the son of Enosh, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Here he is. So here we are. How will humanity, as it were, get back into the garden? How can we have this, this brave new world? How can we ever see you know, God and man reconciled, if you like, the paradise of e- Eden realized. Oh, not through technology. Yeah, yeah, as a generation, you'll do great things. There are bound to be wonderful advances. Probably your iPhone will be able to stick on the end of your nose or something and flick a button and it'll go straight into your brain. I don't know what you'll do. As a generation, you'll do great things. But you will be racked with evil. You will be racked with evil. And there's only one answer, and it's Jesus Christ. And you've got a message, actually, to go and tell your friends who are so totally, totally confused because they've never done floor time in Genesis 1 to 4 and shouldn't have been allowed to graduate out of primary school because they don't understand the world. Let's pray together. My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light 
for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We praise you for the Lord Jesus, our Father in heaven, that he triumphed over Satan at the cross, crushing Satan's head and rendering Satan impotent and granting us freedom and access to you, the King of heaven and the eternal ruler of all creation. We ask that you would help us to understand these things profoundly and deeply so that we can take the only message that matters to the ends of the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.